So we have Mark here along with Dane in our rare recording together episode here on our uh, on our lunch break. Decided to bust out the recording. So we're going to talk today about our most anticipated masters to play that we have not had a chance to play yet. In in uh, in my case, there are many masters I have not played. In Mark's case, that list will be much smaller. <laughs> yep, yep. I've played a lot of them. So. Let's see. So, um, so let's just go through a little history here. So, historically, um, in our what we're calling season one, Mark played. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making fun of his clicking. <laughs> yeah, I have a yeah, I have a weird tongue click that I've noticed when I listen to back to my own audio. So I will try to avoid that. Um, so back in season what we're calling season one, you were playing initially primarily uh, Neverborn. Yeah, and I was playing exclusively Outcast. You also wandered a bit into uh, Bayou and sort of everything else. You didn't play much in the way of Ten Thunders. You didn't really play Guild Season 1, other than Lucius. Um, I just did there. Lady J. Yeah, you did play Lady J. I was all over the place, but yeah. And then Season 2, I've been playing exclusive, pretty much exclusively Ten Thunders. And you've been, you started with Guild, but you did some Explorer Society. You've gone... Done some resers. So you're sort of again all, all over the place. I kind of almost consider us being in season three, even though gaining ground season three hasn't hit because we had like a long break because I reproduced. Right. So I mean, it's it's kind of like a season two point five, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe two point five. Kind of just starting to play. Again. For me, it doesn't feel like three because I haven't switched factions yet. <laughs> right. But I imagine when GG three hits, you're not going to. Uh, I mean, I'll probably I'll probably just open it up. I'll probably play you know just whatever I feel like playing that week. I'll go back to some outcasts. I'll do some. The problem, I mean, the thing is, now that they've got the title boxes out, there's still so much more to explore now within Ten Thunders, and then, and then, of course, the masters that I haven't yet played, which segues us into the topic today. Oh yeah, you can't wait for more gun lines. All right, so I guess maybe I'll go first and state the obvious, uh, as I've stated in previous podcasts. Lynch is my next to do. Um, I've got to get him played in in Ten Thunders. This is one of the masters that first really drew me to the game. Uh, as a whole, it's got that cool uh, Western casino bar kind of theme. The sculpts are really very cool, way cooler than Tui. Um, oh yeah! When, when we first got into it, I would have started with Lynch probably, except for the three boxes available and the Tui sculpts sucked. They're an abomination. Um, that I mean, that's why they made an alt Hungry Darkness because the original Hungry Darkness was so freaking disgusting. It's so bad, like disgusting in a bad way, not disgusting in a cool way. Yeah. Right, right. You'd, you'd expect some creature that's like thriving off of the darkness, sort of Cthulhu-esque, and it looks like some weird child's drawing of a beetle. I don't know, it's yeah, just... yeah, it's pretty bad. Pretty it's bad. pretty bad, yeah. So anyway, looking forward to getting Lynch, Lynch to the table, and I think the thing that draws me to it, a couple of things. So one, obviously the, the theme. Very cool, very cool. Their basic uh, mechanical trick, though, is very intriguing to me. With the with the rig the deck, his I think generally I've been uh, it's a little bit easier for me to play a little bit more fast and loose with my cards, and I think this is going to make it so I have to work a little bit more on my hand and deck management skills. Um, what do you think about so that specific mechanism? I've played against rig the deck, and it's terrible. <laughs> um, it's it's you basically have to and try, try to get advice from people on how to deal with an opponent who's playing rig the deck. It's it's tough because you're 
essentially all you have to play from the standpoint that you're always going to lose a duel because your opponent's always going to have a better hand because of how much manipulation they have whether that's you know true or not you have to like pretend yeah when when you go into a duel you have to have a backup plan because you have to assume that you're going to lose the duel because they have rigged the deck in such a way that they have the best card possible in hand so you only get to win the duel if they let you win the duel that is, i mean that's sort of the way i feel about playing against dreamer is he's, he's refining the deck so much that at, at a certain point you sort of just anticipate yeah. you're losing that duel pre-nerf pre-nerf dr- yeah. uh, dreamer uh, so I mean, yeah i think there's a double-edged sword to that though obviously with you know being able to shift your deck around and put cards on top take cards out there's going to be a tendency to try to get a handful of righteously amazing cards that yeah. are very severe. But then what you end up doing actually is thinning out your deck pretty severely. So I think there's... And there's certainly models and act- activations you want to have a card to pitch. What what we are listening to now is uh, the Rig the Deck player justifying how Rig the Deck is not good. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that... I'm saying I think there's there's probably a learning curve to it where first you're going to want to just pull all these heavy cards, but oh, sure. I think later on... You want to, you know, you want to use the the smallest card you can to get the thing off you want. So it's it's more about planning ahead your activation. And yeah, you know, and it's it, it's a really good ability, and it, but that's kind of all the crew has going for it. It's it's a very strong thing that it has going for it. But you know, assuming if you're playing Lynch too, you've got hunger and darkness in your face. But there are ways of dealing with that. You know, so I'm not I'm he's my probably my most anticipated to play against because I know he's been your boo for forever and you've wanted to play him. And uh, even though I know it's going to be, it's going to suck, I, I am looking forward to playing him on the table and trying to figure out how I want to deal with him. The easy answer for me would be Rezzers because it's a faction full of anti-demise, which they've kind of been on my mind lately. But that also, never, that never hurts. <clears throat> also, I've been wanting to play Bayou, which has no anti-demise whatsoever. So, um, so I, I, I guess the way of dealing it would, would be except the fact that Hungry Darkness is going to delete a model a turn and just scatter like roaches and try to run away from him and go score your points rather than trying to hold him up and fight him. Or as I told you earlier, just bring enough models or be able to summon models just to sort of feed to the meat grinder and yeah, you could but hold it down. I mean, I think that the <laughs> but hold it down, but but hold it down, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, hold that butt down, yeah, or use your butt to hold it down, perhaps. I could probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Please keep your butt away from my mouth. Um, the lost my train of thought there. The other thing I was thinking was was it's gonna. I just clicked again. It's going to be interesting for me to play because I mean I know with Kitty and stuff you can do. There's some scheme ability there, but it seems like largely kind of a bubble-ish crew. Oh yeah, and not exactly what I'm used to playing. I'm used to having. A crew that's sort of highly mobile can sort of split up and do different things. It sort of, you know, acts kind of independently or at least in small crews, small bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple so small units for our 40k listeners. Units. So it, it, I, that's the other thing. It'll be nice to try to just to try a different way to play. I'm not used to playing. I think you'll do fine with it. I think it'll be mm-hmm. a, a rough learning curve probably for you at first because it's so different than what you've played before. But they're the strong pieces that they have are, are so strong that it's not like you're going to... It's You don't have to look at it like, you know, a lot of the internet echo chamber says, Matt, just know you're going to lose your first 15 games or whatever. I don't think that it's going to be like that at all. I think that you'll be you'll be absolutely fine with them. It just won't be super apparent. Or I'll be wrong and you'll just totally kick my butt. That's <laughs> all possible. I, I think with Lynch is one of those... It's a pool, kind of a pool-dependent thing. I don't know if it's a group for everything. Although maybe I'm wrong. I... Uh, we'll see. Well, he has been he has been uh, make, causing a lot of chatter at tournaments. So, yeah. be that yeah for what that's worth. I mean, for what that's worth, it doesn't really mean much to our basement in the, meta. In the two man basement meta. All right, so that's me for Lynch. Uh, what about you for your? 
So my number one would be Yedza. When her art was spoiled, um, I had absolutely no interest in Explorer Society at the time. And then when they showed Yedza's artwork, I went nuts and like made like a proxy crew that, out of um, Frostgrave models and Hordes clearance, uh, fire, fire sailed clearance models from our local game store and have since never played her. <laughs> so she ha she checks all the all the boxes for me as far as aesthetic um, play style the half dead lady it's the undead and monsters and you've you've i mean lamp lighters they remind me of knights the old game knights from like the sega saturn days and yeah, there's a bunch of undead it just has everything there and then and don't forget mikhail or michael or you know, you know mikhail yeah uh that is some badass lore it's a model who's from like a lineage that's mm -hmm. uh, sworn themselves to fealty to her. That's cool as it's, hell. It's so cool, and like she's, like life sprouts up around her and then dies behind her. It's it, it's just great, amazing lore. It's just yeah, I am as uh, I am uh, such a a butterfly snowflake that I can't nothing can keep my attention for long enough. And then I even played Explorers for like 10 games in a row, which is unheard of for me to play a faction that many times in a row. It is very unusual. And I still didn't play her. So I don't know why. It's just, I'm, I'm flighty. In fact, going into season two, you said this is the season of Guild. And I think you played more games with Explorer Society than you did with Guild. I did. I played like five games with Guild, something like that, two, three, four, maybe only like four, something like that. Yeah, that was, this was pre Malifo Burns though. And I was like, man, screw Guild. So... <laughs> I don't know. It, it's I actually really like Guild. It, um, I regret selling my model. I always regret selling my models, but it, it 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 happens. This is a part of the. This is the the price you pay when you're flighty and fickle. Mark helps stimulate um, Weird as a company by buying and then reselling and then buying the models all over again. I have only rebought. <laughs> I think I think I rebought Seamus, and I think that's it so far. So far, more to come. So, like, with with Yedza's actual keyword abilities, she has the ability to hold models where they are with their absolute impossible-to-kill tankiness, which is uh, something that I... Which is basically my entire playstyle before I kind of learned how to alpha strike. You've got Don't Mind Me with the Lamplighters. They've got Marker Shenanigans. Movement... Out of activation, Movement Shenanigans is one of my favorite things to play around with in the game, and it's a crew full of, like, nothing but that... Even though Mikael is no longer the teleporting monster that he is, he's still really good and one of the only min three models in the entire faction. Um, which is is probably problematic, but I haven't gotten on the on the table to really play it. Um, <clears throat> Yedza two is an alpha striking irreducible monster that screams something that I'd want to play. Maybe eventually one of these days before fourth edition lands, I'll play her. Who knows? So, is there something about? the seeker crew or keyword that <coughs> you think would bring something to the table that you haven't really seen before done before or something you could learn from playing that crew that would expand your game that's a very good question i think that the grave goo would be a probably the biggest uh, piece to that puzzle is with um terrain manipulation how he manipulates terrain and trying to lure lure you into places that I want you to be. Um, but other than that, I don't think the crew really expands my play base much because it kind of plays in a way that I've played a lot before. Very bubbly. I used to play very bubbly and tanky. Uh, so I, yeah, I, 
that's an interesting question. But no, I don't think it really does. The, the only difference is that it has a model with leap in it, which was something I always lacked. Was a very mobile piece. Um, for the you, interact, move, interact. You played with Zip before in Bayou, so you've mm -hmm. got, you've got first mate. Um, you've had Lady J. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you've had a few leap models before, but definitely, and you've had um, the, the Necropunks. Those are those are some of the best. Or they were pre nerf some yeah. of the best like schemer leapers in the game. I didn't play with those crews much, and they just weren't. I wasn't in a right place mindset wise to really utilize those models. I was kind of more just trying to hold my own territory and stay stay alive, uh, because it took me about fifty games to figure out how to play Malifaux. So, um, yeah, it's so like yeah, I did play Lady J. I think three times. I think we're. Twice against Zip and once against Leviticus. Uh, yeah, I just I didn't I didn't do a good job at d using that crew at what they're supposed to supposed to do. Leap is just an amazing mechanic. I love Leap. Leap. Well, I'm sure we'll, at some point in the future we'll talk about some of our favorite uh, mechanisms in the game. But yeah, Leap yep. is. Oh, yeah, being able awesome. to interact, being able to interact, move and interact wins the game. Or just simply escape and escape, man. Right, master number two for me uh, would be Zoraida. I guess I, when I say number two, these are not in any specific order, really, but just next on my list that right. I wrote uh, would be Zoraida. So old swamp hag. Now this one's interesting for me. I I don't know. This is one what I that I would have been initially interested in, except for when my when I was trying to get my kids into Malifaux, the one <clears> through my my oldest son graduate gravitated towards was was Zoraida, which is, seems weird to me. Uh, like a near teenage boy would be interested in an old witch lady. He's raising a serial killer. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Um, but so I, I end up having all the models now. I have the whole keyword. And I myself have not played it. He's played against me a little bit. But it seems, I think for me what's interesting is it's got a lot of minions. And I do like my minion play. Uh, the minions, I did it again. The minions are are pretty variable, so you got nice scheming minions in the Sillarid. I think they have, they have stealth, right? Stealth yep. and leap, all those fun things that you like for scheme. I think they scheme have butterfly runners. jump or something ridiculous. And that, like they that. might also butterfly jump too, which I don't think I've ever had any models with butterfly jump because I don't typically play Bayou. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember you ever having butterfly jump. And you got the Bokor, which are now kind of neutered a little bit, but still very interesting. Yeah, they have butterfly yeah. jump. So you're getting multiple potential obeys. Right. Bokors are only now really good, not insane. Not insanely good. Yeah. So I just think there's a lot of fun minion play there. It's a different kind of crew. I mean, I, I just recently started playing, you know, Misaki 2 and Yanglo 2 to do a little bit of that obey action. But prior to that, I, I had zero masters, basically, that had any <clears throat> sort of obey. Uh, so I, <clears throat> I think there's a lot to... A lot to get into there as far as board positioning, given she can use her different minions and stuff for as nodes for her abilities. So I think that's what that's going to be interesting to me is is expanding that obey and utilizing some of my minions for more board positioning stuff as opposed to just strictly scheming. So this is where I, my question for you then. It sounds like you're more interested in Zoraida one than Zoraida two. Yeah, at this point, yeah. Yeah. So I've played Zoraida I think three or four times now, and um, I suck. I suck with Zoraida. Yeah, unit says Zoraida is so good. I mean, I'm sure there's. But, a bit of a learning curve on that one. This yeah, I know a lot of people said it's probably. really hard, but I, I like refuse to accept the fact that I can't just like grab a keyword and play it to its fullest extent right away, <laughs> which I know is probably a bit manic. But um, if you dream it, you can achieve it. I have. I, I just I couldn't get her to work. Now Zoraida two, 
I can't wait to play is Zoraida 2. I mean, I think given how much I like minion play, that sounds really fun as well. She can let all these different models do. They don't have free to be minions stuff. though. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah, okay, yeah. Which is like nuts. Like you can make. Yeah, and so the way that her front of card ability on Zoraida 2 works is when she takes an action, she can discard up to two cards for two other Swamp Fiend models to take the same action. They're taking it at the same time, and when you're the model, or when you're the player that's deciding things uh, that are being done at the same time, you decide what order they're in. So you can line up Zoraida and two of her models two inches apart, and you can kick a can, what, six inches up the field, because you say, I'm resolving Zoraida's first, yeah. and then the next one, and then the next one, and boom, that thing is like six inches away in one in one AP. Now, that seems unlikely to happen. Maybe. It's a, it's a place, it's, it's not a push. Yeah. That's what makes it even nuttier. Like, you can place, break the line markers, like, through walls, because it's a place. It doesn't say anything about having to have a line of sight. I believe, I actually believe it is within the line of sight. Okay. If I looked at that, again, we, we can take a look here, but I believe it is within the line of sight. Even with, even without that, even if that is not the case, it's still really good. Sure, super good. And you, these are things you always have to be aware of. Go ahead. Or just being able to just move everybody a little bit. You know, take a walk. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. And especially if they have, if you're playing them in... Bayou, which I'm going to be contrary to the internet and say Bayou is the way to go with Zoraida, and put inferiority complex on two models that get focused now whenever they walk. Yeah, we just looked it up. Uh, Dane just looked it up. The line of sight is a thing, but it's, it, it is a place still really good. And then your models, you can give plus one stat to, to a couple models, so ju bad juju can be a willpower eight size five kaiju walking around. Would... Um... Would again? Could you assist? I mean, that's also general action, isn't it? Yeah. So let's say your whole crew's friggin' on fire from yeah. Sonia or Karis, mm -hmm. just like start putting people out. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's a lot of versatility in that particular action. And just all the nonsense that you can do. I've kind of hijacked your your most anticipated here, but nah, I mean, you you would know more because you played it. The, being able to summon a mannequin for take the hit, like you know, bad juju with his defense three or defense four, if you give him witch's brew. Well, send him up the field with a mannequin, and there's so much card draw in Zoraida too that it's kind of disgusting. Because uh, she has every, she has a, she has the whole world. She's Brook Assault. Like you just keep chucking cards for take the hit. I think the idea too of playing her. You know, you talk about the doll manufacturing. Playing her with with like a Vasilisa, um, just <coughs> Inamatsu, mm -hmm. just getting these nasty puppets out there. Um, Oh, she can definitely do some puppet nastiness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of fun potential with that one. I just personally like the idea of her in Bayou more, personally for my own flavor and aesthetics and stuff. You are maybe the one person on the internet that thinks that way. Right. <laughs> right. I think everybody else sort of sees her much more as a as a never-born and uh, not really green-skinned. It's so weird. I'm usually not contrarian. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so a master that I want to play a lot is Riva. In both her incarnations, Reva 1 and Reva 2 seem really good. Reva 2 with her, like, just kill a minion or kill a friendly model to take zero damage is insane, especially since she summons corpse candles like crazy. She has a keyword that is not... I think it's kind of deceptively large. What do you mean by deceptively large? <laughs> like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think there's, there's... that she has a whole lot, um, but she really does. So she has lamp pads, she has... Um, the rest that was the restless dead and shield bearers and Juanito and she has all these things that kind of don't seem like much on their own but then when you look at how they synergize together they're they're super good like 
um, Draugr, um, like how does that model cost as much as it does? But it has an eight inch place with something that, that's on fire and it's tactical action, it's not opposed. So it could be an opponent, it could be your own guy that you've walked through a pyre marker to set him on fire. The, his mobility is insane. Lamp pads have the ability to do the 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 game winning uh, interact move interact and it's a really good move. Like they it's it's not a it's like a place they ignore models, things that they move through catch on fire. Uh, oh yeah, that is I'm looking at it now, that is fantastic. It is Plus, fantastic. They can with a with a mask trigger they can uh, drag along, they can they drag choose along a marker, marker and pull it with. Imagine actually, the, you, you place it into base contact with the model. So I mean that could mean you know, you're throwing a pyre marker on top of somebody. Oh. It could mean you're pulling a marker you need for, you know, detonate charges or deathbeds into position. See, this yeah, is where it gets where it gets fun. tricky because I'm I'm like revealing my hand to my my usual opponent here. Bring in White Rabbit Company, put a hat on them, and they count as a scheme marker. And now you're teleporting your models are on the board. So you've got. I mean, just looking at the list here, you've got your as far as minions, you've got your two totems, and then you've got one, two, three, four other potential. Minion, minion categories there. Mm -hmm. Enforcers, there's three within the keyword, and you've got one henchman. So yeah, this is a pretty, this is a pretty, it's a pretty robust keyword. Robust keyword, and a lot. I mean, some keywords have, you know, like all minions and one henchman, and really no enforcers, or yeah. they're really enforcer heavy, like uh, like um, Last Blossom. But this is has like a lot of everything. Yeah. Um, as far as minions are concerned, you might as well not count mourners. So yeah, mourners are one of the rare instances that I totally agree with the internet. They do nothing. They're garbage. Six points. I'd rather bring a grave digger. I'd rather bring two enslaved spirits. Um, I'm looking at this. They, like again, I've not I've not really looked much at Rebus keyword, but the, the stuff they bring it's it's it seems very techy. It's not something you'd bring necessarily every time. But they have some cool stuff here. Disguise <laughs> is nice. They're hard to wound naturally. Um, you you deploy them. They drop a corpse marker anywhere within the crew's deployment zone. That's not bad depending on the crew. You, generally, you guys like corpse markers. Um, Weeping widow. Enemy models ignore within six inches. Ignore ruthless. Not bad. Um, and they can make corpse markers and then range. And they can treat them as friendly scheme markers. That's pretty decent. Meh. I would say they're. <laughs> 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 quite the argument. It sounds it sounds great when you say it, yeah. But I mean, it's just... yeah. It's, I think I mean, I mean, these things are all very situational. The problem is, I don't know that how many of these things line up together. So and of course, like I haven't played more situations. So, yeah. And yeah, I mean, maybe it, it might just be because it's such a situational model. How much is it going to be worth paying six stones for this thing that's going to be pretty situational? That might be part of the issue. But I mean, there's some there's some decent stuff. I'm going to just take your. I'm just going to take the devil's advocate position here. And it, Dane and I are never adversarial or contrarian to each other whatsoever. Uh, and then shield Shut bearers. Up, can, you imagine, can you imagine? Can you imagine two shield bearers with grave spirits touch? I don't want. I don't. They I don't, just. I don't want to. They go to the middle and say, "This is mine, and you can't have it." Yeah, like they, is... they become staggered. They gain shielded. They have regen two. They're terrifying. They can push you around. I mean, as I'm looking at this, so shield bearer. Yeah. Um, had essentially the same soulstone cost as your mourner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is just a. Is just a far better right that's and that's the problem i mean you know i know not all models can be on can be the best right it's it's just the nature of the beast this is how this is war gaming this is just how it is there's always models that are just not they're just gonna be on the shelf and weird is a small company they don't have time to 
fix everything all at once. Desperate mercenaries, I'm looking at you. Oh, wait, I'm not looking at you because you're <clears throat> staying on the shelf. I don't understand how we could have gone through so many erratas and desperate mercenaries not addressed. And what do you think they need? Uh, that's a great question. Keep them at four stones? Or... I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I'd even hire them for three. I mean, they're just, I mean, maybe, but they're... I would think give them the ability right. like the like the um, hopeful prospects where if they kill something, they become that they become uh, a minion in whatever oh, keyword you're in. That would yeah, be cool. that would be that would be very useful. Um, I, I, like almost make them like a terracotta warrior. There you go. They can sort of yeah they they sort of graduate to something better, <clears throat> or graduate to a Ronin or something like that. I mean, I'm just looking at you taking them as a four cost extra card, like that's yeah. I mean, the problem the problem is like for a, a Ronin is six, and a Ronin is so much faster. Their gun is frankly and their and their melee is better. They're um, move four, so it's not like they're a schemer. Yeah, they're not fast. And so, and, and a Ronin, I mean, it costs you six, but you can kill it at the end and get two soul stones back. I would never take a, a desperate Merc over a Ronin. Even looking at points and things, I would make sure that I have enough for a Ronin, not a desperate mercenary. I mean, imagine if it was three soul stones. You could have two desperate Mercs or one Ronin. Then maybe, I don't even, uh, then maybe we're talking. I spoke, you know, in something like Break the Line where a more AP matters, maybe. Yeah. I mean, granted, having a, I mean, you know, it's a 14 inch gun. What but is there's a stat five. 5 and a 1-3-5 damage. Um, I don't know. I mean, just... With a trigger of draw a card, and if they if they live through the attack, which they probably will, discard a card. Right. There's a big empty spot where there should be a tactical action that says... Yeah. I mean, something. Even, even giving them, like, a cool tactical action might make it a little worthwhile. I have no idea why they have no Wary road. Or plenty of wares. Or something. Yeah, I mean, again, in a rapid-fire model, which means, okay, you can give them a shot off, so you're discarding a card to take a stat 5 shot with a min 1. It's 1-3-5 like that doesn't ignore anything. It's, yeah, it's just, I don't there, know, man. This is clearly like we just needed to get 3rd edition out, <laughs> which is a big criticism of, of Weird, and I'm trying not to beat them up too much over it, but they did the same thing when they went from 1st edition to 2nd edition. 2nd edition came out, and a lot of people couldn't play because their models didn't have rules for a long time. But anyway, that's not what this episode's about. Yeah, we have we have totally uh, gone off the rail here. We're getting back to Rev a little bit. So you mentioned kind of a bunch of the cool mechanisms that you like, but what what is this? You know, you you play a lot of Rezzers. In fact, I think you played pretty much every other Rezzer but her at this point, haven't you? Yamo. And Yamo, okay. Yeah, who's so, a Rezzer, not a Ten Thunder. Uh, yeah, agree, disagree on that one. So what about what about Reva? Is do you think is is going to be different as far as the way you play your game, or what's she going to add to your to your game? So she's uh, deceptively mobile, so I could play break the line with her. Um, she kind of seems like a crew that could probably do any pool and maybe every matchup. That's kind of the problem that I have a lot too. Is is the trying not to get bogged down by the why play this over that because there are a lot of masters that you would not play over that depending on the pool. Right. So like instead of going from this like crunchy, I'm trying to beat you. What master do I need to play? It's I've kind of become more of like this is the master I want to play. How can I just not get my butt destroyed? I mean, I think that is the that is kind of the benefit of the two man basement meta is you can sort of just play for the story that you play on the table. You, you don't have to really be concerned about you know this is probably suboptimal or whatever. It's just, right, it's just fun to play. Dane has learned to expect the unexpected with me because I'll bring wild off the wall crap that you would never think. 
like like a war pig was zip right which was good <laughs> all of you listening going what really shut was, up it, it was, good. was good it really was good he lived till the end of the game and tied down like two or three models several times. It was great. And you're looking at, I'm looking at a point. I'm looking at Revan. She puts all these pyre markers. Her croups all these pyre markers. Can she move them around? Uh, she can attack through them. I don't I'm think she, she moves like, them around. She, well, her, I guess the mourners could. But is, is she? Uh, I'm wondering if she like the Titania of the of the Resers, where she's shoving around all these markers that are hurting you. And no, she doesn't move them around, but. Um, what's his name? There is a lot of marker movement shenanigans, so... Well, I guess anybody can always take that new slam action. Oh, that's true. Shove, so, yeah, so you could. That is very true. I didn't even think of that. And, um, you know, lamp pads, they, move, they do the place, and, um, what's his nut? Uh, Vincent, uh, when he shoots through a pyre marker, he can move it four inches. Actually, that's, that's interesting. I actually, just before now, I'd never really considered using the slam action on your own markers to as an offensive ability yeah like hey i need to i need this i need this jerk over here to be on fire i'm going to slam this marker and push it two inches and now you're in it and boom you're on fire now yeah that's pit traps that's you can do that with pit trap oh my gosh you can do that with pit traps that that bothers, that's that bothers me just like thinking about how that, would, that doesn't even make any sense really you're you're shoving a hole ah. in the ground <laughs> Monster, if anybody's played Monster Hunter, you could see where you can, you know... Nah, not really. I tried. Like, I get how you could move a pylon. I get how you could move uh, underbrush, sort of. I get how you could move, you know, a pyre. But, like, a move, physically moving a hole in the ground to another spot makes no sense to me. Uh, the first one's a fake, and it's really two inches away. I don't know. And that's the end of the show for now. This is a topic that uh, we will probably be re uh, revisiting here in the nearish future. We have a game coming up, so watch out for a podcast about that. Um, Jesse from Boring Conversation uh, was wanting to hear some content about contrast method for the on <clears throat> the on low crew. So that'll probably be the next thing that drops. So thanks for listening.